over in Washington, D.C., Barry Woods. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Let's take a look at how those bubble markets are doing right now. The uh, In the commodities markets, first of all, gold is up another $3.5. It's trading at an all-time high, uh, $2,023 an ounce. Brent crude oil is at $44.34 a barrel. Uh, the US dollar is pretty well unchanged. It's at 105 and three quarters against the Japanese yen. And then in Asian stocks, the SX200 in Australia is down about two thirds of 1%. Uh, the Nikkei 225 in Japan is off about three quarters of a percent. The Cosby in South Korea, though, is rallying. It's up about a third of a percent. And looks like the Hang Seng will add about 0.1% when trading gets going in half an hour's time. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please stay tuned for Back Chat with Danny Gittings and Anna Fenton. The weather forecast for today, cloudy, occasional heavy showers and a few thunderstorms. Maximum temperature is going to be about 29 degrees. The outlook is for thundery showers at first tomorrow and then sunny periods in the following couple of days. Temperature right now is 27 degrees and it's 92% relative humidity. It's 8.31. Here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. Two massive explosions in quick succession in the port area of the Lebanese capital, Beirut, have killed at least 78 people and injured more than 4,000. A witness described the blasts as deafening. They caused extensive damage to buildings over much of the city. One witness said the blast was so big he thought he was going to die. Hardy lives in the area and was in a taxi at the time. Suddenly I lost my hearing for a few seconds. I knew something was wrong. And then suddenly the, sh- the glass just shattered all over the car, the cars around us, the shops, the stores, the buildings, just glass going down from all over the buildings. I instantly thought it was an assassination attack. It was loud. It was very, very loud. A United Nations report has warned North Korea is still developing its nuclear program despite international sanctions and may already have reached a key milestone. There's been no progress on negotiations to end North Korea's nuclear program in exchange for easing sanctions, despite the fanfare of President Trump's meetings with Kim Jong-un. Here's the BBC's Nada Torfik. The report reaffirms what many experts believe, that North Korea's nuclear program hasn't stopped. It says the country's production of highly enriched uranium and the construction of an experimental light water reactor continues. And several unnamed countries conveyed their assessment to the panel of experts that through North Korea's past six tests and other activities, it has probably developed nuclear devices small enough to fit into the warheads of its ballistic missiles. One country said Pyongyang may seek to further strengthen its capabilities and develop multiple warhead systems, which would make them harder to intercept. The head of the International Monetary Fund has congratulated Argentina and three of its major creditors for reaching a debt agreement. It restructures 65 billion US dollars of debt. Here's the BBC's Theo Leggett. Argentina is in the throes of an economic crisis, made worse by the impact of the coronavirus pandemic. The country formally defaulted on its sovereign debt repayments in May. But since then, the government of President Alberto Fernandez has continued to negotiate with major creditors in an effort to reach a deal that would make its debt burden easier to manage. It's now reached agreement with three groups which represent some of the world's leading investment firms. The restructuring plan itself still needs to be formally endorsed by other creditors. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
Good morning. Welcome to Back Chat. I'm Danny Kittings. Your co-host this morning is Anna Fenton. Good morning, Anna. Good morning, everybody. On today's show, it's Back to Zoom. The Education Secretary announces schools can resume classes, in some cases as early as next week, as long as they don't allow anyone back in the classroom. That means students who had to stay home for much of the last academic year will once again be studying online. So how well are Hong Kong's educationalists handling the switch to online learning? Will many kindergartens and tutorial colleges close as a result? What about families who can't afford smart devices and computers? And sporting and other extracurricular activities that simply can't be moved online? Let us know how you're affected. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call. The number there, 233-88266. That's 233-88266. Joining us for the show this morning, we have in the studio here, Mervyn Chung. Mervyn Chung is a Hong Kong Education Policy Concern or from the Hong Kong Policy Education Policy Concern Organization. And we hope to be joined also shortly by Ip Kin Yoon, who is the Education Sector Lawmaker. Uh, before we start, um, probably like most people, I, I have an interest in this matter. Um, I, as Associate Head of the College Humanities and Law at Hong Kong Youth Space, of course, we have been moving all our classes online. Anna? Uh, and for me too, as, as a counsellor, I see both ends of this. I see the kids who are now, we're seeing an increase in gaming addiction and online-related addictions, and also the poor old beleaguered parents, who a lot of them are having relationship meltdown as a result of the extra stress of having to work from home and uh, juggle the kids. Yes, I know a bit about that. Uh, okay, uh, Mervyn Chung. Um, morning. What do you make of the uh, government's announcement about, uh, I mean, the, you, you have a lot, uh, you often think of the start of the school year in September, but actually a lot of kindergartens, international schools, they, sh they should be going back to school now. And kindergartens, of course, they, in many cases, they never resumed school last year. Yeah, that uh, that's the case, um, especially uh, the the, uh, especially for, uh, for the uh, junior level uh, kindergarten cl uh, classes. So, uh, and of course, we understand that the situation is very difficult uh, since uh, February this year, when all the and when all the school classes basically were suspended. So, uh, I think um, instead of beginning the new school uh, academic year in September, it's now been to, you know advanced uh, about uh, by about two weeks uh, to 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 the middle of August. Presumably, uh, the uh, EDB, Education Bureau, uh, wants to give more time uh, the, uh, the schools to do the to do the teaching, um, uh, possibly in compensation for 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 the time lost uh, over the past uh, uh, six months. But that didn't happen, did it? And it, I mean, those schools that were going to arrange extra classes over the summer, most of those ended up being cancelled, didn't they? As well. Yeah, that's right. Because, uh, well, basically they. Students and 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 probably the, the teachers as well couldn't go back to schools be, because of the because of the high alert uh, you know uh, given by the government for for COVID nineteen. So um, well, the, the kind of uh, online uh, teaching mode is is some kind of a a forced situation. Uh, well, uh, initiated by the by the bureau, you know, for the schools. And of course, uh, there are both pros and cons for, for this kind of online versus face-to-face uh, -face teaching. Well, we'll get into that um, certainly in this programme. But let's now go to Ip Kin Yoon, Ip Kin Yoon, Education Sector Lawmaker, joining us. Good morning, Mr Ip. 
Good morning. Uh, so what do you make of the EDB's announcement about, uh, you know, they didn't give any date, did they? They said basically just face-to-face um, uh, -face classes are suspended indefinitely. I, I think uh, they should give a um, uh, date. Uh, even if it is a temporary date, uh, I think it, it would be uh, good, better for the schools and teachers and also the parents to pre prepare. Uh, because I think well, uh, we have to uh, have a tentative plan uh, when at least it will you know, extend it to, uh, for example, you know, uh, 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 we will uh, uh, start the class, uh, start the uh, new calendar year uh, on uh, September the first, but we won't allow the students to go back to school until, for example, you know, uh, the end of September. Then we will at least uh, have to plan up to the end of September. Uh, so uh, after uh, 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 no, that day, after the end of September, no, uh, no, uh, the teachers, students and the parents might uh, have to plan for you know, going back to school. Uh, so this kind of tentative date is uh, necessary for you know, that kind of uh, tentative planning. And, and if we look at a sort of an easing back into normal schooling, what would the plan look like for that? Would it be like half the kids go in the first week and then the other half the second week and rotate? Or what kind of ideas are being thought about? Uh, I think well, uh, the Education Bureau has been uh, thinking about you know, uh, phase of uh, implementation of going back to school. So uh, no, some of the... Of the uh, classes, uh, some of the years, for example, uh, you know, the uh, grade uh, six of secondary schools uh, might uh, resume class earlier than the other uh, classes. Uh, and also, uh, you know, the EMB, uh, EDB also mentioned uh, the, the, uh, the beginning years of secondary and primary schools, so, so uh, the students would have more time to accommodate into the new new mode of learning. Uh, no, that kind of situation can be uh, no can change uh, because of the you know, the pandemic uh, situation. So it will all depends on uh, what is going to happen. So we have to be uh, very flexible in our plan. I think they already talk about uh, half-day schooling again. If the schools go back, it's almost inconceivable to imagine that um, uh, children will be allowed to stay and eat lunch in school. So are we just, and it's very difficult to imagine that happening really for quite a long time. Are we going to have to just adjust to um, even when schools are open, children only ever spend a half a day in school? That is possible. I think that is uh, also due to the pandemic consideration. Uh, we want to avoid you know, uh, students staying too long in school uh, to reduce the possibility of you know, that kind of uh, transmission of the virus. Uh, that might be, a, uh, 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 I think, worth considering to have half-day school uh, for a period of time. But uh, how long would that uh, period uh, be? I think well, this is up to the situation. Where, and I think well, we have to monitor the change of the pandemic situation very closely in order to make a good judgment. Can we just talk about the psychological aspect of this for a moment? Um, what, what 
are your thoughts about the effects this is having on kids in terms of retarded socialization and stress at home and lack of sport? This must be rolling up a sort of a cumulative negative effect. And, and what ideas do you have for uh, restoring that or, or in some way making up that lost ground? I think, well, uh, we have to assess, uh, discuss this uh, in, uh, very seriously. I think well, this may have a very long-term impact on students. Um, and I think we also have to look into the impact on different ages. The different age might have different impact. Uh, for example, the students in the senior classes, they might worry about the public examination. While the youngsters, you know, for the very young kids, uh, we, we might have to worry about you know, their, 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 their well-being. In, uh, for example, uh, you know, uh, the lack of physical activities and socialization. Uh, these kinds of things are very important, for, very crucial for kindergartens and uh, junior primary students. And I think well, they, now uh, they, they are being constrained in uh, uh, indoor activities and and we also have to look at the students uh, know of different social background I think uh, in worldwide speaking uh, the situation seems to be uh, bad particularly bad for you know uh, for those grassroots families with you know uh, lack of family support lack of uh, you know, computer or you know, assessment to the web or, or you know uh, also, the family, the, the 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 living environment is not good for the students, and 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 these are the students. There there might be a lot of students who need badly, you know, their uh, the, the the help from the teachers, and now the teachers' uh, support, teachers' guidance, is being you know uh, cut off. I think the situation is uh, very. Uh, I think uh, is, uh, we, we, we worry about the situation. We're discussing the future of um, education in the in the COVID nineteen era. You just heard Ibkin Yoon, Ibkin Yoon, the education sector lawmaker, also with us, uh, <coughs> Mervin Cheung, Mervin Cheung from the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organisation. If you have any thoughts, uh, do email us at backchatterrthk.hk. That's backchatterrthk.hk, or you can go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, and leave a comment there. Let me bring in the couple of comments coming in from listeners. Uh, Matthew says, now our education secretary, who sent his own children to be educated in Australia, is suggesting forced mass virus testing for the extremely low-risk group of school children in return for a right to return to physical school. What a deal. As a reminder, one of the free virus testing companies contracted by the Hong Kong SAR government, BGI, is involved in the use of forced mass DNA testing to enable genetic mapping-based security of surveillance in Xinjiang. Apple Daily also exposed that one of the BGI's Hong Kong directors and lab operators was the lab technician involved in the infamous experimental stem cell beauty treatment which killed one woman and injured three more. And Belinda, actually following up from our discussion a moment ago, says, I'd just like to give a shout-out to all the teachers who have made online learning work. I think the one thing I've noticed is some students looking very sad on Zoom calls. And after class, when you chat with them, you realize your, their parents have been arguing a lot 
or are potentially facing unemployment. Apart from supporting students academically, schools have to, at this stage, offer more emotional support to children. As a parent, I got together with two other parents who are neighbours and have had our children learn online together. We all know each other and take precautions. One thing we noticed is at the very least, they have been well adjusted to this mode of learning and they've been able to support each other and have that balance to play. With everything shut down in Hong Kong, it's still very important for children to have that social support network, if at all possible. Thank you very much, uh, Belinda. Uh, Mervyn Chung. Yes. Yeah. I mean, how about the point that uh, our listener was raising there about I mean, sort of the, the, the lack of, uh, of sort of um, emotional support for children and parents? So school counsellors, uh, very difficult for them to conduct Zoom sessions to, to help parents and children out. Yeah, I, I have been suggesting that... Uh of course, uh, uh, for students, uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's kind of a daily, daily session with teachers, two or nine. And then, uh, I think occasionally, there should be some special sessions between the schools and, and, and the parents, uh, be they in, in an online mode, because uh, this will facilitate the kind of um, collection of feedback on both sides uh, regarding the effectiveness or otherwise. Uh, in uh, implementing the uh, uh, the uh, online teaching and learning, and of course, um, I think the the, the question of uh, consultation for teachers and uh, for parents and, uh, and students, uh, well, is important because uh, they can only uh, see each other, uh, or, you know, over computers, over mo- mobile phones instead of the actual in person. Uh, you know, the kind of face-to-face contact, so that uh, they know they know each other. Uh, teachers and stu- uh, students uh, very clearly their reactions and also the the questions they have, uh, and the kind of uh, uh, support they they expect. But uh, all these things, all these essential things, are practically absent uh, from from online o- operation. Uh, you know, for 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 lessons. So I think the kind of um, more support, more encouragement is, uh, you know, is very important. I'm, I'm concerned from the top end, which is teachers. As counsellors, we're encouraged to do specific online training to deliver online counselling. And I'm not hearing that teachers are receiving specific training for delivering online teaching. They're just, it's just assumed that they will make that transition nat- naturally. Uh, are you seeing any evidence that, that they're going to start training them? Yeah, that's a drawback to, in our existing to system and also the kind of uh, professional training for teachers. Uh, well, uh, counseling and, in fact, um, curriculum things, uh, the, uh, at least the two-week size of our professional training for teachers at the moment. So, um, and, of course, with uh, social workers being provided to schools, uh, the emphasis on teachers' training in uh, counseling is getting uh, weaker and weaker. And this is something that should be uh, heated by the Education Bureau and also the teachers' training uh, operations in universities. Uh, Ip Kinyun, you represent the education sector. What, what are your main concerns for the sector? I think, well, uh, no, um, when we are talking about you know, switching to more uh, online uh, fashion of teaching, uh, this is uh, quite different from what we uh, have in school. Uh, in the school, effectively, I think well, um, the, we, that is a place for socialization. Uh, and the students will meet their fellow uh, classmates, 
and also the teachers uh, and have lessons and also recess time for you know all kind of and they will also have a lot of chances of informal interaction. So these are very important for the young, uh, to, for the youngsters. And now uh, in the online situation, it becomes more and more you know, one-way transmission of knowledge. And, uh, the interaction will be reduced uh, much, uh, uh, to, a, to a larger degree. And also, you know, there, it won't allow too much informal interaction. You know, um, we, we have after class, after uh, recess time, and teacher may you know, see uh, their students uh, in a very you know, uh, natural way. But you know, now uh, the situation is quite different. So, uh, and, and online learning is, uh, is not a very enjoyable experience for students as well. Uh, if, if students have to concentrate on the screen for a long time, uh, it will make uh, them, you know, uh, I think, physically unfit and, and also uh, very uh, boring uh, and very tired. So I think, well, we have to uh, make, you know, after so, so much time, after so, so, so many months, you know, Hong Kong has been has suspended classes for the longest time in the world, uh, and so we actually we we have gained some experience, no matter is good experience or bad experience. So we should look back to what happened in the past few months and to plan ahead. I think well, one of the things we should think about is, you no, know, we do not necessarily you know uh, change uh, this. Uh, 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 ask the students to do the online teaching just the same as you know, in school. For example, the timetabling, uh, you know, we don't have to ask the students to do the online te- learning for, for eight sessions each day. So we might have to consider if the students, if they can you know, control themselves, uh, have better self-control, uh, they might have some online teaching time and then more time on self-learning activities so uh, so they don't have to you know, stay on the screen for such a long time that is not good for their eyesight not good for their you know they will have stiff neck uh, at the end of the day so uh, I think well we can switch to you know uh, t- for time being in the education world we are talking about uh, self-steered learning uh, and more and more about that. So I think we, sh- we should practice this uh, uh, after you know, some of the teaching time, we can have more learning time and, and we can design different kinds of activities for the students so that you know, we can uh, uh, maximize the learning time. No, because so of the, mo- yeah, the moment there's some, huge yeah. variation, isn't there? I mean, some some schools, my children's school, does what you're, you you mentioned. They have you have some online classes, and the other is self study. And other schools do put their their students in front of the the the, the camera for sort of eight hours a day. Are, are you saying that there should be central instructions, central guidelines? I mean, at the moment, it's up to individual schools. Uh, I, I'm not suggesting a centralised uh, because we don't know the uh, the best model uh, 
would fit all people. And I wonder if there is no uh, such a model because the students, the situations of the students uh, are quite uh, different from one to the, the other. Uh, some of the students might have very good uh, uh, learning environment at home, and the, for the others, they might not have. For, and, and some students even don't have computer and don't have assessment to the web. So for these students, uh, for uh, schools and the teachers, they might have to come up with other solutions for them. So, uh, and, and some students uh, would be, would have a better control of their own learning time. The others uh, do not have, uh, have, have that kind of control over themselves. So uh, I think, well, it, it varies from case to case. And I think, well, this will have to depend, we will have to depend on the teachers, uh, the sensitivity of how the student, how, how the situations their students are, and to design appropriate uh, learning mode for them. Okay, let me bring in an email from a listener on a similar theme. Uh, Jason uh, says, e-learning and self-regulated learning. Jason says, given the uncertainty surrounding COVID-19, the Education Bureau made the right call by temporarily suspending face-to-face lessons, since having large crowds of pupils in school would increase the risk of infection. There have been clusters of infection breaking out in confined premises, such as homes for the elderly, so distance learning is a safe substitute. After all, students' health and safety should be the top priority. With the experience accumulated by both teachers and students during the school suspension period earlier this year, e-learning should remain a viable option for pedagogical and assessment purposes. Widely used platforms such as eClass and Google Classroom help assign homework and disseminate information about useful links and websites for self-regulated learning. HKED City has tons of resources for learning. And the e-read scheme on the platform allows students to select books of their choice and read them at their own pace. Live streamed lessons on platforms such as Zoom and Google Hangout are another option, but they're just one of the many ways of learning. Reading a physical book at home could be a meaningful activity since it can teach kids to stay offline and spend less time on their electronic devices. Going back to the old way of looking up unknown words in a dictionary may help consolidate memory too. Self-discipline is key. Thank you very much, Mr Tang. I think we have to admit this just comes right back round to the parents. Leading on from that letter, if you want kids to sit down and discipline themselves and look at a physical book, this requires parents to actually pull their finger out and do it. So I think parents and teachers too are going to have to work an awful lot harder because... I can see from the way kids are using online facilities now, they get hypnotised by the screen and they do not want to come off it. So parents are going to have to, in some cases, drag them off the screen. Maybe that's happening because of shared computers, but it's very hard for any kid to discipline themselves, especially when you're with a highly addictive medium like online delivery of anything. Because in my experience, they're able to be looking at YouTube at the same time as doing their lessons and maybe have two or three things open on a phone beside them as well. So this is going to take a lot of supervision if it's going to have any effect. Okay, Ibkin, you have to go in a moment. Um, which yep. which, uh, which uh, part of the education sector do you think is, is suffering the most serious problems? I mean, a lot of people talk about kindergartens and tutorial centres. Oh, yes, yes, uh, both of them. And actually, I think well, uh, there are also private schools 
which are also suffering because you no know, uh, because uh, students students might uh, no because they won't be able to go back to school. So for parents, they might think about about you know, why 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 bother I I pay the tuition fee, and also you know, some might uh, want the students the kids not going to school you know, just uh, drop out. Uh, so uh, these will. Um, uh, come up with uh, uh, serious uh, uh, know, how 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 the schools, how the kindergartens, how the tuition center, and also private schools uh, operate. Uh, no, they still have to pay for the rent. They must still have to support their teachers, uh, and, and and but they will have uh, uh, the loss, huge loss of in income for months. And I, I don't think many uh, schools and kindergartens can support this situation. So, uh, so I hope that the government can, you know, uh, do something to help them uh, financially. I think well, this is, and we, we, and we don't want one day uh, school resumes and all these institutions are gone. So this will be, you know, uh, a, ter- a very terrible situation for for, for parents. So we do want to keep these institutions. We do think that you know they are useful, uh, but you know we have to help them to uh, to 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 to, um, to pass, uh, get through this very difficult situation. Okay, thank you very much. You just heard Ip Kin Yoon, the education so- sector lawmaker. We say goodbye to Mr. Ip now, but Mervyn Chung will be staying with us and we'll be continuing the discussion after the news. We also hope to be joined by Professor Chen Kai Ming, Emeritus Professor at Hong Kong U. Uh, so do let us know your thoughts. Um, so many people in Hong Kong affected by the switch to online learning, uh, whether you're a parent or an educationalist, um, just, just email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, and leave a comment there are you a frustrated parent who's um having difficulties with your children at home uh, or how just how difficult is it switching to zoom uh the weather forecast cloudy with occasional heavy showers and a few thunderstorms the maximum temperature will be 29 degrees the outlook thundery showers at first tomorrow stay with us we'll be back in three minutes order to intercept you're listening to the news on rthk Welcome back to Back Chat. I'm Danny Gittings. Your co-host this morning is Anna Fenton. In the second half of this programme, we're continuing the discussion about the effect on Hong Kong's education system of the COVID-19 outbreak. Of course, the um, education uh, EDB announcing that um, schools can resume, and in fact, some international schools will be resuming classes next week, but uh, they're not allowed to have face-to-face teaching for the full, well, and, um, until they decide otherwise, and no date set for that. Our guests, as we continue the uh, discussion, uh, Mervyn Cheung from the Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organization. We're also now joined by Professor Chen Kai-ming. Professor Cheng, Emeritus Professor at the University of Hong Kong and also a former Pro-Vice-Chancellor at the University of Hong Kong. If you have any thoughts on the issue of how COVID-19 is affecting the education sector, do email us at backchat at rthk.hk, backchat at rthk.hk. Or you can go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, and leave a comment there. Uh, let me first of all bring in uh, <coughs> a number of comments from listeners. Just first of all, a couple not on the uh, t- topic of today's programme. Uh, Andrew M, initially in one email, saying, RTHK News uh, on the 4th of August refers to a Chinese media outlet as a mouthpiece. Really? Into calling names on your own new- newscast now. 
in another email uh, while this after the show has started. Andrew M says, "Have the hackers not knocked you off the internet today?" Well, um, Andrew, you're you're the only message we've received on that vein so far. So. If, uh, I apologise if you're having uh, difficulty, presumably, hearing us online. Um, if anyone else is having the same problem, do, do please let us know. We haven't received any other messages to that effect. Uh, Paul says, I'm so lucky I can listen to your programme occasionally when driving to work. I have a comment to the ridiculous rumour that the mainland medical teams will be collecting Hong Kong people's DNA. What a load of rubbish. These medical teams, no matter what country they're from, do not need access to people's ID to make tests. It's so simple to build two systems that are firewalled to protect the identity of the person who submitted the sample. We've been doing that in the sourcing industry for many years. The samples for testing have a unique ID that correlates to a Hong Kong managed system that links a unique lab ID to the person's Hong Kong ID. So the lab only knows that sample one is client A. The rest of the information is separate in a Hong Kong managed system. No one would be stupid enough to send the samples with full ID and names to the mainland. Not even Carrie Lam is that unintelligent. But I think the Hong Kong government should tell us how they would do it to kill the rumours. And lastly, one on today's topic from Alison. Alison says, why is this government so keen to penalise its young people? The EDV announced all schools will go back online, even though the daily COVID-19 case count dropped significantly. Not only is this is far from the optimal way to educate, as it leaves gaping holes in learning for most children and teens, it's also mentally unhealthy for them. Kids need to be in the classroom to achieve their best academically, socially, mentally and physically. The school-aged kids of Hong Kong deserve better from the government. Having done their part so far in wearing masks, missing school and having all activities and most summer jobs cancelled, they deserve to be at least be able to learn effectively. There's an overwhelming body of evidence which highlights the long-term ne negative effects of prolonged periods without full education. Many other countries have prioritised getting kids back into school and have managed to do so safely. Others are guaranteeing kids will go back to school after the summer as they recognise the overwhelming benefits of having kids in the classroom. In Britain, the idea has been floated that pubs will close so schools can open. Why in Hong Kong is there so little attention paid to the long-term welfare of children, while significant attention is paid to other sectors of society? Is it possible to protect vulnerable groups like the elderly without further harming the futures of the society's younger generation? Children are the future of this world. We need to let them go. And let's actually go on because uh, numerous more emails coming in. And uh, let, me, let me just try and take a selection and we'll go to our guests. Gloria says, I think online learning is very common nowadays. However, face-to-face -face teaching will be more suitable for lower form students who need more discipline. That said, with the supervision of parents, online learning mode can work if there is no alternative. Mike says, last January, we, the world didn't know what hit us. Were we all going to die? Was this virus going to put us all in hospital? We didn't know. We shut down. Was it the right thing? Yeah, maybe. Now we know that 99.841% of us are going to live. 169%, uh, 0.169%, sorry, 0.169% are going to have to go to hospital. And 3% of them are going to die. Most that die have other health problems that complicates COVID. With all of that knowledge of what the virus does and doesn't do, we are still acting like we did in February. 
when we didn't know what this virus did. Is that intelligent? Just asking. Where are the think tanks when we need them? Uh, and John, addressing uh, the question raised by another listener about um, uh, listening to us online, says, your app is working, but the website streaming for Radio Free does not work today. Thank you very John, much, John, for that clarification. My apologies to any listeners trying to listen on the website, but the answer does appear to be to go to the app. Uh, John also says, why is online training of teachers only for discussion now? This should have been done weeks or months ago. And uh, uh, Dan says... When this period of history is written, one of the biggest mistakes will be glaringly obvious, keeping students away from school. Paul says, as far as I'm aware, people under the age of 20 are more likely to die from flu than COVID-19. Forcing students to stay home under these conditions is just child abuse, and the government should be ashamed of themselves. It's children who should be in school and can be supervised by graduates. Meanwhile, the teachers can zoom into the classroom. That's an interesting idea. Uh, Mervyn Chung, um, you, you're particularly concerned, aren't you, about um, uh, students who have public examinations, particularly DSE, um, uh, next year? Yes. Uh, well, in fact, uh, I, I, I do um, suggest that um, there should be a list of uh, major actions and preparations uh, to be done by the uh, EDB and other schools. Um, Outlining what to be uh, what to be done and changed in in the event of the original schedule work being disrupted by the continuation of the COVID nineteen epidemic. Now, for example, what will happen to the DSE examination in twenty twenty one and its impact on the students um, in, in the events of the uh, of the COVID nineteen continuing and, and and escalating, disrupting classes and also the examination schedule. So uh, the syllabuses for different subjects to be examined at lecture um, in the DSE um, should be rationalized and an acceptable assessment mechanism be considered at an early stage and uh, through consultation with school heads and teachers if the examination can't be uh, held on schedule. I think you're also worried, aren't you, about um, uh, that students graduating and going on to university poorly prepared? Yeah, that, uh, that's uh, that's right. Because um, in fact, the 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 DSE candidates, uh, the school candidates, oh, you know, uh, in 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 the current e, uh, year slot, uh, have uh, practically lost half the of the learning time in in in, in school. So um, I, I'm worried that they might not be as uh, sufficiently prepared as the the uh, as their uh, well, uh, uh, as the students in, in, in the previous cohorts for university education. So, um, and uh, once in the university, uh, they, they might not have time to do the, the kind of catching up on what they have missed while, while they are still in secondary six. And uh, th that would pose uh, you know, challenges to teachers in the universities for teaching the first year cohort in, in the coming uh, academic year. What are, the, what are the specific gaps that you identify, Mervyn? It's uh, language competence. And, and also, if they uh, get themselves uh, specialized in certain subjects, like uh, maths, uh, like uh, uh, languages, and like uh, other science and, 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 and uh, humanities subjects, uh, have they achieved an acceptable you know, depth of understanding or knowledge of the subject to prepare them for higher learning in the university? 
Okay, you raised the issue for the, the challenges for the universities, and we have with us uh, Professor Chen Kai Ming, emeritus professor at Hong Kong U and former pro uh, vice chancellor of Hong Kong U. Professor Chen, good morning. Thank you for joining us. Yes. Yes. Uh, oh, yes. I have heard all the, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, uh, inputs you mentioned. I think we have to take the whole thing in a different perspective. That uh, we are really facing uh, what well, well, our company coined the, the, the new normal, and uh, it's inevitable. I have to say that we human beings, uh, particularly in urban areas, in developed societies, are already living partially, uh, sometimes a large percentage of our lives, on, on the Internet, in a virtual society. And this is perhaps uh, not happening in education, only limited. And the pandemic has accelerated the whole process. In some countries, they prepare for five years to train teachers for e-learning online, but it happens in two weeks. Teachers are marvelous learners. So this is inevitable. This is the new normal we have to face. And if we, use, if we look at the whole thing totally from the old framework, of course, we can't handle it. Of course, still are not learning. Of course, teacher cannot teach and parents cannot handle. It is part of the problems now, but we have to face the reality. Uh, in early June, our Dean of Medicine, Gabriel Leung, has an article in New York Times. He uh, speculates that the pandemic will have ups and downs all the time for a long time. And therefore, we have to prepare for, uh, particularly, he mentioned uh, school suspension. It will happen, and then it can open and close, open and close all the way. It is not true by statistical data that young children are not affected. It actually happens in Hong Kong. And this is, this is perhaps when we ask for scientific data, this is a scientific fact. However, it doesn't mean... I don't think the new normal means that all learning will happen online. My understanding, I've been uh, presenting that all over the world, is that there will be three portions of student learning. One is traditional learning, which is very much governed and dictated by university entrance, by examinations, public examinations, and so on and so forth. Then there will be an increasing portion of learning that happens by students themselves. You may call it home-based learning as in Singapore. You may call it online learning. You may call it uh, virtual learning. But then, from this pandemic, we also realize, teachers also realize that it's so important, but usually taken for granted for social lives of students. This is also their learning experience. So eventually, the new normal will be traditional learning, which is uniform, which doesn't care for diversity and individuals. And then the e-learning, which is very much motivated, self-motivated, self-regulated, and then social lives. So this will be the no new normal. Then it really means that we have to think of, okay, if that is going to happen anyway, then what should we think of curriculum? What should we think of schedules? What should we think about examinations? and university admissions, and so on and so forth. Uh, Mervyn talked about university admissions and the uh, university preparedness. In reality, in the past few months, 
during the suspension, we realize even in Hong Kong and also around the world that university students are least affected adversely. Many university students even welcome online learning. So this is the least affected part. My real worry is really about preschool education. Preschool teachers are not prepared to uh, to uh, to instruct parents what to do, and preschool learning is basically by group activities. So this this is my basic understanding of the whole situation. That is, we have to change our mindset into one which is prepared for more student-based learning, more designer for learning rather than teaching. I have to stop here. Okay, um, so you say it's the new normal, and in, uh, indeed where I work at Hong Kong Youth Space, we also talk about the new normal. But does, <laughs> does, does that mean that um, we're, we're going to have sort of smaller university campuses in future and things like that? I mean, you, know, physically, I mean, you could apply that to schools as well. You oh, don't right. actually oh. need the same number of classrooms. Oh, this is happening, actually. In some universities around the world, there are shared offices where professors don't have to attend every day, but they can click on the web and find uh, a desk. In a, in a shared room, and uh, but this applies not only to education. You know, the, the people are talking about the uh, decline of prices for office space because many are working from home, and of course they still want an office, but they don't need to attend office every day, every moment. So there's a flip side to that in that in some cases you're seeing increased uptake in office space because of the requirements of social distancing. But can we come back to what you're saying about the preschool education? I think this is really interesting. How how are we going to cope with small children who, frankly, go to preschool to, to, to mix with each other, don't they? That trying to get them to sit down and stare at a screen for more than five minutes is simply not going to happen. So what is the contingency plan right now for the parents of small children right now facing this very real problem this week? Yes. Uh, there are there are two issues here. One is how to design a program that students will be motivated. Of course, you may say that sometimes they watch cartoons, they watch TVs with full attention for a long time. But I don't think education is yet to compete with them. So I see some kindergartens uh, spend the, the kids' time by, say, asking them to uh, wake up in the morning with a very small piece, uh, and then have a more time for rest, and then come in again watching a cartoon, uh, singing a song, uh, imitating uh, kind of a dance. Yes, it, it happens, but of course it cannot replace the real group uh, interperson uh, learning, because learning according to science of learning, according to neuroscience, learning happens for human beings most effectively in groups because people uh, learn from each other. And this is a good question, but I don't have an answer. But the other more serious question is we have no way to, uh, to mobilize parents who either are not educated enough to carry out the uh, so-called teaching uh, responsibility or that they simply have a rather... Uh, they don't have a harmonious atmosphere in society and family so that students can be helped by them. And the, the other case is that if parents also stay at home, 
Both parents stay at home with two children. That four people are competing for the facilities, mm. and that is very worrying. I'm particularly sympathetic with teachers who have children. The whole day they have to handle the kind of online learning for their students, but their children are also online learning. So it is a it is a new normal. New normal seems to be a good thing, but it is also something that we we is is a is a challenge. Okay, we've had a couple more uh, um, emails from listeners confirming what we referred to earlier. Um, Adam and um, Paul are both saying that uh, they have difficulties uh, hearing the program on the internet this morning. My apologies for that, but also saying that um, if you go to the mobile apps on your iPhone, iPad, or um, your, whatever phone you're using, it uh, should be no problem at all. So if you're having experiencing problems on the website, please, please do use the app instead. Uh, let me bring in a, uh, a, 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 an interesting letter on a particular theme from uh, Diva. Um, maybe Mervin Chung, you'd like to comment on this. Uh, okay. Diva says, I'm a parent of a Chinese as a second language child at a local school. Non-native speakers really suffer from losing the language immersion that the school environment provides. Yeah, Zoom calls really aren't an ad adequate substitute. Is the EDB making arrangements to provide extra support to non-native Chinese speakers? For example, could they arrange small group classes or activities for students to ensure they don't lose their vocabulary during the school closure period. Uh, Mervyn Chung? Yeah, that's a problem. Uh, because um, <clears throat> for, for, for language immersion, that should be done to, uh, in, a, in a physical setting involving interactions, such as in a school environment, uh, using different devices, teachers uh, teaching, uh, practicing, uh, and, and, and that kind of things. Uh, for instance, uh, for learning English, they supplement their, their formal learning with, say, a musical, uh, and, and, and that's effective. So uh, I think uh, this is something that the, um, that the EDD, uh, EDB can, uh, should consider. Uh, yeah, it works both ways, doesn't it? I mean, uh, Diva's making a good point about uh, non-native Chinese speakers uh, having this yeah. problem. But how about also um, children from families where the parents don't really speak English and they're only in yeah, both. exposure to English will be at school, won't it? Yeah, yeah, both, both. Uh, so uh, that can be done by, say, by the schools through the uh, PTA, Parent Teachers Association, with the support of, say, um, uh, professionals and, uh, and, and experts, uh, say, from, from the higher education institutes. Yeah, and uh, because the EDB has been used to uh, outsourcing the kind of uh, you know provisional support services or professional services from from universities, so this is something they should seriously consider. Uh, Chen Kai Ming, you wanted to comment on this? Oh issue. yes, yes. I, I I think this is a very good question, and uh, I don't have an answer, but it is a second kind of a major weakness apart from free school education about non-Chinese speaking children. Yes, it's very, very important they lose the language environment. Uh, we have a team in our university headed by Professor SKJ who specializes on uh, learning Chinese as a second language. I'll, I'll convey that question to them. I'm quite sure they have already paid attention to that, but I, I would like to know how, how they are going to handle that. It is, it is the kind of challenge I mentioned. Because of the new normal, this will happen. And because of the pandemic, we have to face it. There's no choice. And therefore, yes, uh, thank you. I'll, I'll convey that to, to our team. Okay. Uh, Mervyn Chung, your, your yes. other thoughts from the discussion? Yes. Uh, <clears throat> I think we need to go back to the, the, the question of uh, uh, you know, implementing to online, uh, online learning. And uh, I think we touched on the question of equity earlier on. Uh, 
this is、uh, you know, something serious.、Uh, for instance,、uh, for families, for well-to-do families, they stand, you know, they they are in a, an advantageous position. Uh, uh, some kind of competitive act,、uh, you know,、uh, to to enable to,、uh, the 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 children to to learn fast and also more effectively, because、uh, they have a they have quite a you know well provided、uh, I、uh, you know IT environment at home, even at home to do the learning. But、uh, but then、uh, for、uh, for grassroots family,、uh, children and also the parents do have、uh, some kind of、uh, digital and also wealth gap. Which place them in a disadvantageous position in、uh, in you know, doing effective learning uh, uh, online, and、uh, and especially many of the many of the parents are, are working at the same time, and for children in the junior classes like primary or junior secondary, which require a lot of、um, support guidance、uh, for 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 doing the online learning well, that could. That could place them in a in a, in, a, in a difficult situation. Is is this the new life for the internet cafe, providing、um, free or very cheap access for people who don't have computers at home? Yes.、Uh, yes. That that,、uh, that that's one thing that that has been you know underway, and perhaps、uh, we have a lot of、uh, social welfare agencies,、uh, particularly those receiving aid、uh, from a social welfare department,、uh, which can offer you know.、Uh, Overhead and, and also、uh, effective support for students in the underprivileged category.、Um, Ch- Professor Chen Kaiming, how, how about the issue of、um, mainland and overseas students? I mean, the, I mean, you know, Hong Kong U and universities—they they thrive on that, on having a certain percentage of students from outside Hong Kong, and that's going to change, isn't it?、Uh, yes, yes. I, I, I don't have a comprehensive data, but referring to the earlier question that Melvin mentioned. I think、uh, it's, it's rather hypothetical to assume that、uh, the, the infrastructure gap is、uh, as large. However, my colleague Nancy Law, Professor Nancy Law, just、uh, started and then no start, finished the first phase of her large-scale study on digital citizenship, and she refers to digital competency, and which is now in terms of machines. In terms of、uh, there, there is a lot of supporting、uh, funds and so on and so forth for students to get their own、uh, machine. This is called、uh, bring your own device、uh, program. And、uh, in terms of the the internet Wi-Fi access,、uh, the, the the jockey club has provided a lot of、uh, SIM cards with huge、uh, memories to students, but. Digital competency is much more than infrastructure. It's about how students are used to use internet. How con- how do how convenient they feel it,、uh, to use uh, online uh, facilities and working online and so on and so forth. So it's a huge, complex question. And、uh, but this is what I mean is we have to face with the.、Uh, Uh, new new normal. Overseas, I would say Hong Kong is not doing poorly. Although we have our own problems, and we all we all think that we should, for example,、uh, try to make use of this opportunity to to equalize at least the kind of、uh, basic needs and basic competencies. Mainland China is moving much faster than us because they face also rural areas 
and uh, where the, 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 but the uh, infrastructure there is quite good. The problem, the difference between Hong Kong and mainland China is that we do not emphasize only on the curriculum learning. And therefore, teachers have to do a lot of other things. In mainland China, because of the rather collective effort, like Shanghai, they have a uniform timetable for everybody and consolidating a 40-minute class into 20 minutes and leave the other 20 minutes for uh, teacher tutorials. It's whole Shanghai, the same period, the same subject, the same time. Uh, but in other countries, it's really uh, very, very precarious. In UK, for example, in some of the remote areas, simply you can't start anything in uh, uh, online because they don't have access. It's a small population, but it's inevitable. Uh, in Brazil, for example, it's very serious because students cannot come to schools, not only that they cannot attend classes, also they don't have meals, which they have to take in school. So I, I so think, so I think uh, we're, we're getting near to having to wrap up. So it seems like if we had to give uh, Hong Kong a rating, how would you rate it out of 10 at the moment? How are we doing? Oh, it is relative. I think no, no country can, can achieve a 10. We don't know where it's 10. But I think we are at least at 6 or 7. Uh, we are not in a very fragile situation, but but when the test is long-term suspension of classes, and oh. that's a real test. Okay, thank you very much. Uh, you heard Professor Chen Kai-ming, Emeritus Professor at Hong Kong U and former Pro-Vice-Chancellor of Hong Kong U. Also with us since the beginning of the show, our thanks to uh, Mervyn Cheung, Hong Kong Education Policy Concern Organisation. I'll leave the last word to our listener. Um, Dave, in an email, says, I would like to talk about the Education Bureau. Much as computers are very good, most households in kindergarten and primary schools spend around $10,000 a year on school books. So we have some overpaid educator in the Education Bureau wants everybody to learn e-learning. This is all very well once you get set up with your computer and passwords at your expense and time. But it's much easier for general schooling for the teacher to send a WhatsApp instructing to fill in pages one to five of a book. Because if you don't qualify, you don't have to buy the computer. You have to pay the internet, you have to waste time setting up and the school does, the child does less work than if you've been using school books. And you have to apply for everything online. There's a hole in my bucket, dear Liza, a hole in my bucket. Also, um, a number of interesting comments on our Facebook page by Tom and uh, James. My apologies to the way we don't have time to get to those today, but if you go to our Facebook page, Backchat on RTHK Radio Free, you can see the comments there and indeed join in the discussion. Uh, thanks very much, Anna. We'll, we'll be back tomorrow. The weather forecast, cloudy with occasional showers and a few thunderstorms. The maximum temperature will be around 29 degrees. To prevent pneumonia and respiratory tract infection, always keep hands clean and wash hands for at least 20 seconds. Put the lid down before flushing. Add water to U-traps regularly. Cover your mouth and nose with a tissue when sneezing or coughing. Wear a mask and seek medical advice promptly if unwell. Fully cover your nose, mouth, and chin with a mask. Visit chp.gov.hk to learn more. The news at 9.32. Health services sector lawmaker Joseph Lee says building a new hospital for coronavirus patients is a good long-term measure, especially during the winter flu surge. Professor Lee said even though the number of infections appeared to be stable, Hong Kong was still in a dangerous position. 
The BBC has obtained what's thought to be extremely rare footage from inside China's secret internment camps in Xinjiang. A member of the Uyghur ethnic group Murden Gapa has taken a video of himself on a mobile phone in a bare cell, handcuffed to a bed. And the Lebanese Prime Minister Hassan Diab says a confiscated haul of tons of ammonium nitrate is to blame for two devastating blasts that ripped through the capital Beirut. The explosives had been stored for years with no safety precautions. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock. It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Hello, Not too bad at all. Being the up Scottish. You never Facebook chat with me, Phil. Good morning. It's got the Tom and Jerry type violence. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zen. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning to you and welcome to Wednesday here on Radio 3's Morning Brew. As always, I'm Phil Whelan. Well, we've got no trip to Texas or Nevis today because Janice has been at the dentist, thus is capable of neither bark nor bite. She will be back next week, though. Get well soon, Janice. 10.10 today, though, I'm going to welcome back broadcaster and journo Tim Noonan who joins us on the line from Marin County, California. We're going to find out about his latest work from an America that he calls back stuff crazy may or may not get to talk to philippe Dovar today because he's in paris it'll be ridiculously early in the morning but he will try and at 12 10 we're going to visit chris watts at his motion dynamics studio in central to talk about your bones join us on facebook live on and off today especially with chris because as you know he's happy more than happy to answer your questions real time 